You're listening to the FMC podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, uh, and welcome to the FMC podcast. I'm Matt Spazali, and I'm Jonathan Keel. Um, we're uh, we're here a little earlier than we usually are. Uh, it's uh, around seven a.m. here in uh, Big Woods time, so we're trying to get our brains working. I think this is probably. I feel like we're like ra- <laughs> morning radio talk show hosts or something who like <laughs> yeah. just roll out of bed and then get on the mic and have to say stuff uh <laughs> so um but um first of all we'll uh we'll start with a prayer here in the name of the father son, son and the holy spirit holy spirit amen lord jesus we thank you for this uh beautiful morning we ask you to um be with us during our conversation and um may it all be for your greater glory, yes, uh, in the holy name of Jesus, Jesus, Amen. In the name of the Father, Father Son, Son Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit. Amen. Um, I was having some technical difficulty uh, with our computer starting up here, but I, as I told Jonathan, I knew that it worked, um, and here's gonna there's gonna be a interesting sort of plug for my um, musical endeavors. I knew it worked because um, the other night I was recording a rap song for... <laughs> and that's that's the truth. And that's not necessarily a good one, but um, the song is called Holy Bunk Boys with and boys is spelled with a Z and that's because uh, <laughs> there's a little background here. Um, as I mentioned in one of our previous podcasts, I live uh, with a bunch of guys in a trailer. Uh, and at the time that we moved there, there were seven of us. And we, we moved into HB1. That's the name of the trailer. So all the the houses out here at Big Woods have names like... St. Michael's house, St. Teresa's. Uh, we live in St. Paul's. Right. So there's all, everybody's got a saint, but we have these tra- <laughs> these two trailers where all the single uh, people live. And so the single girls live in HB2, and we live in HB1. This is, this is HB Rentals, the name of the rental company that rents us the trailers. So HB is the name, and we were. We were moving out of St. Michael's, and we we liked that, you know, protection of of St. Michael the Archangel idea. Um, so HB was kind of we didn't know what to call ourselves, and or or, or our trailer. So we started to try to think of like Saint Saint who Saint. Someone came up with Saint Homobonus, which is you know some ancient saint. I think he's the patron of tailors or something like that. <laughs> and it didn't... That didn't stick. Then No one had a particular devotion to him. Then we... So we were looking him up. Um, saint Hildegard von Bingen, or Hildegard of Bingen, HB. Um, she's a pretty cool saint, but Doctor again, it didn't... Uh, yeah, it, it didn't... That one didn't stick. 
Um, and then somebody said something like, well, we, you know, because we all, we live in bunk, we sleep in bunk beds. So it was like, holy bunk. <laughs> the holy bunks are the holy bunk boys. And that sort of stuck. And when someone suggested that, that it be spelled with a Z, like B-O-Y-Z at the end, that made me think of a rap song. And so then I, I started recording. Um. A rap song and Soon none to be released. Yeah, none of the only. I've hinted at it to some of the guys. They don't know any uh, any of this, um, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully it'll be out soon and <laughs> maybe it'll debut. Maybe I'll debut a clip on this podcast or something. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that's uh, that's what's that's what's going on now. Jonathan, you just recently got your wife back from, yeah, from Peru. Yeah, um, it's been great. My wife left on Ash Wednesday uh, to go on a short-term medical mission trip to uh, San Martin, the Department of San Martin in Peru. Um, and uh, she's been gone for 13 days. She returned. Uh, all, all the while you were... I was you at home six. with my six kids, and the what? And their age is what's the range from? Uh, my oldest son Moses is thirteen, right. and then I have a twelve-year-old Elijah. We have a ten-year-old Micah, an eight-year-old Isaac, my my one beautiful daughter Gemma, <laughs> who's five, and then uh, we have John, who's uh, just turned two. Yeah, so that's a lot for one. For one dad, it's been. Uh, I've learned a lot about <laughs> myself and my limits, and uh, yeah. the need of mercy, both hey. for myself and I need to learn to give it to be merciful. Perfect. Well, I think we're gonna be. We'll be talking about about mercy. So that's a, <laughs> unintentionally a good segue into into our topic. So uh, why don't you start us off with um, with our our base yeah here. well you know we are in the time of lent we just celebrated the second sunday of lent this last sunday and um, i'm reminded of pope benedict who said that lent is the favorable season in which all christians are asked to convert ever more deeply to christ's love and so uh during these podcasts which we really we begin during this lent We've been trying to focus on the love of God, the love of Christ, the love of Jesus. And one thing I thought was really interesting that I've tried to do this, uh, this year is just read through the Lenten messages, the Papal Lenten annual messages uh, that, as far as I know, began in 1973. Um, Pope Paul VI, Blessed Paul VI, began giving these annual messages at Lent. And um, although I haven't read all of them yet, I've been trying to read one a day, um, what I've discovered is that almost always, uh, and so far all the the messages I've read from Pope Francis, from Blessed Paul, from uh, Pope Benedict, and now I'm going into John Paul II, they've all been about living Lent, uh, 
towards our neighbors. And so oftentimes we hear of Lent, we think of giving up chocolate or coffee or beer or something. Or even um, a focus on sin. And, uh, exactly. Like sort of focus perpetu- on a perpetual 40-day exactly. sin, sin look. It tends to be oftentimes on the parish level, in my experience... Um, the focus tends to be inward, um, and it, it oftentimes stops there. We focus on um, our weaknesses, our flaws, and uh, we strive for humility. Uh, whereas, as I'm reading the the call of the magisterium, uh, I'm, I've discovered that it's a bit different. The call is one to- that's a... Um, a giving up so that, in other words, I give up um, certain luxuries so that, or in order that I can give them to my neighbor, or um, to the poor, to the refugee, uh, to the prisoner. In other words, Lent becomes a the modus operandi, if if you will, of Lent is the works of mercy. It's not simply giving up, but rather giving over uh and i think that's really uh today one of the message what we're going to be discussing is uh perhaps the most difficult teaching that jesus uh, ever gave uh, i think it's his most difficult teaching a teaching that uh pope benedict in 2007 called uh the manifesto that Jesus presented uh, proposing his model of life to them. He also called it the Magna Carta of Christian nonviolence. Uh, he even calls it the nucleus of Christian revolution. These are just um, enormous uh, enormous phrases. They have such yeah, It's such fascinating like, that if you read that without telling me or telling someone which pope said that, I think a lot of people would say, well, that sounds like Pope Francis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's but, one of the things, and it's, you know. It's interesting looking back. and One of the things we, we that I try to do in this podcast, uh, we try to do in this podcast, really, is show the consistency uh, of the magisterial teachings. Right. Uh, and so we oftentimes will draw from a number of different uh, papal teachings in order to show that uh, there is a consistency. It's not something that uh, you oftentimes hear people talk about Pope Francis as though he just kind of dropped out of the sky with some newfound ideas. Right. Um, but what we discover is that oftentimes the people just have begun listening now yeah. Uh, but that the popes uh, and the magisterium, the council, has been talking about these things for uh, many decades. Well, today I, I didn't even get to. Um, we'll be talking about um, loving our enemies, and we've entitled this uh, podcast um, from a line in uh, Pope Francis's homily. Um, in God's heart, there are no enemies. And so um, we're going to be discussing, really taking as our, our backdrop, the Sermon on the Plain, 
um, from Luke 6 27 to 36 and just a, a quick backdrop so Jesus is teaching you could say um, really all of his uh, his moral teaching and certainly his teaching on the Christian life could be found in the Sermon on the Mount found in uh, Matthew 5 to 7 um, Luke gives a version of it it has some slight differences it's called the Sermon on the Plain um, generally because in Luke's version Jesus is on the mountain and he's prayed all night that's one of the things Luke's gospel brings out more than any of the other gospels Jesus praying but Jesus is praying he prays all night to God um, and he then calls his disciples he calls them up to the mountain and um, he chooses his 12 but then it says that he came down with them onto the plain uh, and Pope Francis says that the call of the apostles is linked to this setting out descending to the plain to encounter the multitudes who as the gospel says were troubled and instead of keeping the apostles at the top of the mountain their being chosen leads them to the heart of the crowd it sets them in the midst of those who are troubled on the plain of their daily lives the Lord thus shows the apostles and us, he says, that true heights are reached on the plain, that heights are found in a gaze and above all in a call. And we're going to be talking and focusing on this call, the call to be merciful, even as our Father is merciful. But um, Did it, you want me to... Uh, yeah, Matt, I'll, if you could read, read the Sermon on the Plain, this section, that would this, be awesome. This section, um, this really, yeah, exciting, um, earth-shaking idea from Jesus. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, verse 27, But to you who I... Uh, but to you who hear, I say, Love your enemies... Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. To the person who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other one as well. And from the person who takes your cloak, do not withhold even your tunic. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from the one who takes what is yours, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. For if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend money to those from whom you expect pay repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount but rather love your enemies and do good to them, and lend expecting nothing back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he himself is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Praise you, Lord. Amen. Praise you. Um, such a powerful message, and... It's interesting, at the very end, in verse 36, it says, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. 
And in the Matthean version in um, in Matthew five, we have it. it, it there's a slight difference um, in Matthew five forty eight. It says, "Be perfect." In Matthew's version, "Be perfect, even as your Father's perfect." And in Luke's version of the um, Sermon on the Plain, it says, "Be merciful." And so it's interesting when we think of um, Pope Francis calls. Uh, this um, invitation of mercy um, really the road to perfection and so we think of the way of perfection as the way of mercy and he goes as far as to call and I love this image he calls it the mystagogy of mercy <laughs> and so it's kind of a, a, um, a word that's not we've heard we hear sometimes as far as catechesis goes but mystagogy what is it well mystagogy is an invitation to god's self-revelation we're invited it's as though uh, i think of this term revelation as kind of um in the in the new testament world at a wedding the woman would be veiled and the night of the wedding she would unveil herself and reveal um herself to her husband and this is what's happening here is this we're learn as we learn about mercy god is removing the veil he's inviting us to this self revelation he's leading us through the mystery of who he is the mystery of his love uh this is you might say um post baptismal catechesis but it's really the very heart of the christian message and so Pope Francis calls us to look at this mystagogy of mercy, and there's four stages, and this is kind of the four stages of mercy, which we could also say are the four stages of the heart of the Christian faith and how we live our faith. Love, do good, bless, and pray. And um, we certainly uh, see a similar thing when we think of even how our catechism is set up, um, the creed which discusses who God is, I think of God as love. And then we have a section on the liturgy, how we celebrate our faith. And this is how we receive the blessing. I could think of we receive the blessing. Um, and then we have life in Christ, where we learn how to do good. And then the section on prayer. So. Um, this could be you could look at this in a variety of ways but this mystagogy of mercy what's so amazing about it pope francis says it's the problem he says the problem comes when jesus tells us for whom we have to do these things love that is do good bless and pray here he is very clear he minces no words he uses no euphemisms he tells us love your enemies do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Um, this is where kind of the, the rubber hits the road. Yeah. Do good. Uh, it's, for some reason at this point, the do good to those who hate you. That Those words are just jumping out at me. Um it's so counter to everything that 
that we really want to do or want to feel. We don't want to feel that way. I mean, just thinking of, of finding out or enduring some hatred from somebody and then um, wanting to do good for them. Uh, it's such a profound and, and as Pope Benedict says, revolutionary idea. Um, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's really I mean, um, and and convicting, not not just an interesting yeah, exactly. idea. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> I think we should all feel um, challenged when we read this. I think we should all feel um, like there's something wrong inside of each one of us because I don't know that any of us really um, feel naturally a desire to love our neighbors um our natural desire is to defend ourselves yeah. it's interesting um the compendium of catholic social or of the social doctrine of the church says our enemies now in number 40 section 40 it says our enemies should be treated as if they were another self which uh I'll just again this idea of uh just total openness and love towards um, towards our enemy is just kind of the hallmark of the Christian teaching. Uh, Benedict the Fifteenth, way back, you know, a hundred years ago, said Christian charity ought not to be content with not hating our enemies and loving them as brothers. No, it also demands that we treat them with kindness, following the rule of the divine master. And so. I think what's challenging about Jesus' teaching, if you noticed, you kind of read right over it, um, it would have been easy to miss, but in Luke's gospel, you know, the golden rule is just kind of sandwiched right into this section. Right. Um, as you wish that men would do to you, do so to them. And so we think of the golden rule, but it's in the context, Jesus presents in the context of how we treat our enemies and so I, I just thought, you know, how do I treat uh, just some easy ones here, political rivals? Uh, you know, how do, how do we Catholic Republicans um, treat our political rivals, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, or various other um, enemies we might think of? Or how do we Catholic Democrats um, talk about uh, President Trump or... Um, other leaders that uh, we may have deep um, and rooted disagreements with, Jesus is very clear. We don't have the luxury of simply um, following this teaching while we're in church. This is a teaching that at the very heart of who we are, so much so that uh, Pope Francis reminds us, Jesus says that you must do this, otherwise you are like the publicans, like the pagans, and you are not Christians. Uh, that's pretty tough there. Um, you know, I think of our political rivals. How about terrorists? Terrorists hate us, at least uh, we're certainly under that impression. I haven't talked to any um, personally. 
but oh, it's certainly presented to me in such a way that it appears that they hate us, um, that they're our enemies, and I, I have no reason not to agree. Um, but nevertheless, Jesus, and we might call him crazy, we might think that he's unrealistic. Uh, I'd much rather hear somebody just say they disagree with Jesus than try to throw some type of ridiculous commentary in that would somehow make it seem as though this was just, uh, we're only supposed to do this on some type of spiritual plane. Jesus doesn't say that. He, yeah. he doesn't, as Pope Francis says, he minces no words. He uses no euphemisms. Uh, and it's not a, yeah, it's not a call to just indifference about our enemies. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which, interestingly, Pope Benedict has said, indifference is the is actually the opposite of love mm. um but i think <clears throat> i can easy, i can maybe get to that point the indifference toward towards terrorists or something someone who wants to kill me maybe in my best efforts i can or at least maybe ignore my thoughts of hatred about them you know about mm -hmm, these people mm -hmm. uh, sort of like not let that be something that I dwell upon but that Jesus calls us much further than that yes um, much further than just uh, I mean it, so infinitely further than ignoring these people he calls us to love them um and I think you're right to point out that it's in, uh, if this sounds like a crazy thing, it kind of is, you know? I mean, we need to mm -hmm. confront that mm -hmm. bizarre idea instead of glossing uh, and saying, well, Jesus, maybe he just meant something else or just, I don't know what he meant, but I don't want to, you know, I guess a lot of times that's actually what we're doing. I don't know. I don't want to think about what he meant because it's just mm -hmm. too hard. It, it's yeah. it's too difficult. So let's not talk about it. But um, it's, I, it's here. It's right I here. love in in Evangelii Gaudium um, section two seventy one, Pope Francis encourages us to live the gospel without commentaries. Mm -hmm. In other words. We're called to live just as it comes, like the purity of the gospel, not not trying to figure out a way to make it easier. Because as he reminds us, he says, here we find ourselves confronted with one of the very hallmarks of Jesus's message, where its power and secret are concealed. Here too is the source of our joy the power of our mission and our preaching of the good news. My enemy is someone I must love. In God's heart, there are no enemies. God only has sons and daughters. I think there's just such a power when we're able to live out loving our enemies. You know, Dorothy Day had this great quote, I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. I thought when I read that, who do I love the least? You know, you might ask yourself, who do you love the least right now in your life? 
and think of the fact that you can equate your love of God with the amount of love you have for that person. That's just uh, there's <laughs> yeah. a lot. There's a lot there. You know, it's heavy. So we have we have we all have so far to go in that, and and it's um, praise God. It's not something we can even we can't do ourselves. Uh, only Jesus can help us and be with us. And that's not to again um, push it off into the philosophical. Uh, sort of cage we can put things in it's we have to daily talk to the person Jesus and ask him to be walking with us in the way that he promised um, for us to have any shot at doing this um, only through his power do we and through a relationship with him does this make any sense? Um, or, or, or can it be possible? Uh, the next... Um, you read the Pope's words, In God's heart, there are no enemies. God only has sons and daughters. And I think that's such a a good perspective because I'm so like putting the terrorists in that situation. God doesn't see the terrorists as his enemy. Wow, uh, they're his sons and daughters. So that's the way that Jesus is saying you have mm-hmm. to view them in that exact same way. Um, you have to view all of the people, all, like everyone on earth, the people we disagree with, the people that annoy us, the people that don't we don't like, um, people we wouldn't choose to be around. Those, those are the people that we have to focus on and um and that's that's the the power you know there's so many powerful examples of people doing that in history and i i think we'll we'll get to that um i wanted to read the next actually the next line that pope francis says says uh we you know in god's heart there are no enemies god only has sons and daughters we are the ones who raise walls, build barriers, and label people. Um, and when that label, um, to label people, it struck me because it's something that I, I think about a lot. And um, conveniently, <laughs> Archbishop William Laurie wrote um, a little article in the... Um, magazine Columbia which is the publication of the Knights of Columbus and he's the supreme chaplain of the Knights of Columbus Um, and he wrote this uh, reflection called uh, What's in a Label and um, really discussing uh, well I'll let him speak for himself Um, so he says Um, we should be very reluctant to pin labels on others. Labeling a church leader is a way of putting that person in a box so that one does not have to deal thoughtfully 
with what the leader actually says or does. For example, some parishioners may readily refer to their priest as conservative or liberal without ever talking to him. Though labels may contain a grain of truth, they often short-circuit important conversations. Um, and this is a, an idea that, and I was just so happy to hear um, someone in, in a place of authority in the church um, expressing this, this idea that labels are shortcuts. Labels are ways for us to dismiss the thoughts and words of another person. I mean, they, like he says, they're off, they often have a grain of truth, but we have to think about what is the benefit of seeking, well, wait, is this guy a liberal? Is it, is that, is what he's, is this a liberal guy? Oh, well then I don't need to worry about what he's saying. Is this guy conservative? I don't agree with this stuff. So once I can label them, it fits into my paradigm of how I, you know, how I view the world, and then it's black and white, and I can dismiss things. And I, that's a danger because, as he, as Archbishop Laurie says, um, the net effect of labeling our fellow Christians is to weaken the church's mission by weakening the church's unity. Um, I would, I would say, and I, I really, I try to do this myself. Um, just take the labels liberal and conservative and remove them from the church dialogue. Um, I, it's, it does present a difficulty because there are certain ideas that um, these things describe. However, I just don't, I think they've outlived their usefulness, the, the Labeling someone conservative, labeling them liberal. I, I would ask you as a listener to just think about the way those words make you feel when you hear conservative, liberal. I, I guarantee you there's some kind of uh, visceral reaction that you have to those words. And it's all tie, it's tied up in our American politics. It's tied up in world political discourse as well and I think the problem is that when we transfer that um, onto debates within the church we also transfer all of the anger and all of the mm -hmm. resentment mm -hmm. that we have in our um, political debates and it's just one it should it should also tell us um, that those Labels are probably not that helpful in our political debates because mm -hmm. they they bring up such anger and emotion and and our heart rate starts pumping when we use them that that's not going to be made good for a political debate and it certainly doesn't make good for any kind of discussion of chair you know for a charitable discussion within the church between believers um, of of all these things. So you could say, you know, you could look at Pope Francis's entire pontificate and say, well, he's a liberal. I don't agree with that guy. Um, that is not helpful. You could look at Pope Benedict and claim that he was a, you know, say, well, he's a conservative and I liked him. Or, But, uh, but Pope Francis is a liberal. 
or Pope Francis is a liberal and I don't like uh, I can't remember what I just said but anyway you know like uh, we put these labels in it's just easy to dismiss well uh, you know I already know that I don't agree with liberals so I'm not going to listen to what this liberal says or I already know that I don't agree with conservatives so uh, that's not what I'm going to listen to. Um, Catholicism does not fit in that binary. It is not conservative or liberal, and we need to just drop that. Jesus is not conservative or liberal. He's Jesus Christ. He's a he's just he's a person, and his ideas run the the gamut of this of our narrow political spectrum, you know, uh, of ideas, and um, it's it's just not helpful, and I think, um, you know, also in this enemy thing, um, those are some of the people that we need to think about loving, um, are the people that we've laid, are, are, that have different political views than us, people that have different, um, uh, I guess, ecclesial views from us, different views of the way the church should be, or, or what's happening in the church, and um, I, those are often, you know, for those of us who are extremely committed Catholics, those are often even more um, strongly held emotions, because this is the most important thing in our life, our faith, um, so we we imagine that we can justify our anger and justify our hatred uh, even to people within the church, which is absurd, you know, um, but it's very easy for us to do. And I think uh, Jesus and, and Pope Francis is pointing this out. He's pointing, he's literally pointing this out, that um, those things, these ro- walls we raise between each other, these um, barriers, these labels, they are separating us not only from our brothers and sisters, but they're separating us from the message of Jesus mm-hmm. to love our enemies. Um, yeah, and this, you know, this message uh, on Ash Wednesday in 2001, uh, Pope St. John Paul II calls this message, loving one's enemies, the spiritual patrimony of all humanity, a new way of relating to each other, a somewhat difficult way but rich in hope. And he says that this message is the very gift the church offers to the people of our time. And, um, you know, I think of this message and I could imagine people wondering, you know, how is this even possible? How is it possible to love a terrorist how is it possible to love you know someone who kills children how is it possible to love somebody whose heart is so black uh, and I, I just thought of you know um, some modern examples that really just touched me but one in 2006 many of you will remember when the um, the Amish schoolhouse uh, when the man entered the Amish schoolhouse and gunned down a number of um, children and then killed himself and uh, within a day the families of the slain girls 
um, had gone to the man's house, the man's um, family. Uh, they went to this family. They reached out to them. They brought them gifts. Um, it's fascinating. As, as the father of a slain daughter, uh, one of them said, Our forgiveness was not in words. It was what we did. And, um, you know, it was noted that uh, they gave hugs, gifts, they called them acts of grace. And of the 75 people at the killer's burial, at the killer's funeral, where you might think of they might have gone to spit on his grave, but no, they were there to support the family. Almost half of them were Amish parents who had buried their own children just, you know, a couple days before. These Amish people then also gave money to the shooter's family to help them. And I think, uh, what a what a beautiful example, what a difficult, tragic, but beautiful example of forgiveness, of living the gospel without commentaries, without a, um, you know, a footnote, oh, I don't have to do it to this neighbor. Um, I also think of... Um, you know, we could certainly think of someone like um, Dr. Martin Luther King, um, who, uh, you know, was put in jail, was beaten, all, all sorts of different things that he went through and saw. And he mentions, you know, he says, now there's a final reason I think that Jesus says, love your enemies. It is this, that love has within it a redemptive power. There is a power there that eventually transforms individuals. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies, because if you hate your enemies, you have no way to redeem and to transform your enemies. But if you love your enemies, you will discover that at the very root of love is the power of redemption. Um, I think, you know, I've, this is a, a theme that I've reflected on a lot over the last few months. Um, I've had to deal with some pain in my own life. Uh, and um, one of the things, you know, that um, the Lord kind of spoke to me, uh, this happened back in, in, uh, in November. My wife and I and our six children were blessed enough to go up and serve uh, for almost a month uh, in the Billings Diocese of Montana at the Indian Reservation of um, Fort Belknap. And uh, we had some friends there um, who were serving in the, and still are serving in the, um, the town of Lodgepole. Um, and as we were up there and I was spending time in the chapel there at the, with our Lord um, and praying, the Lord kind of gave me a um, a way to encounter my enemies, a way to to see Jesus in them, which I was really just feeling called. Um, I've been reading some Dorothy Day and Mother Teresa, and I was really feeling called to strive to see Jesus in others, uh, and especially how to see Jesus in my enemies. And so... I just wanted to pass this on because I found it a very powerful experience. But um, I feel like this was a movement of the Holy Spirit. But I, I eventually took um, pictures. I, I, I spent some time with the Lord in the chapel. 
running through my life, literally an hour or two, just going through people in my life from early on, uh, who when I thought of them, uh, I was, I found that I was um, annoyed, or maybe I was angered at the very thought of them, that my initial thought when I, when that person's name or that person's face came into my, my mind was one of reluctance, was one of, uh, I would rather not see that person again or be near that person. And um, I wrote down their name, or in some cases, uh, I merely wrote down a situation, because maybe I didn't know their name. It might have been just uh, a person who was rude to me at the store, uh, a person I, I could think of. Um, we bought a vehicle in Peru during our um, second year of missions there, and the factory, the people who fixed the vehicle, did such a bad job, it cost me weeks of uh, anxiety. I just have a picture of this vehicle, <laughs> so I could think of all of these... Yeah. Um, these different people were involved in that. But what I did, and I felt like this has been a blessing to me, um, you know, we have a, a, a fellow missionary, wonderful missionary, um, Sheila, who uh, carries around pictures or has some pictures of Jesus, some um, icons, you might say, of Jesus that particularly appeal to her and um, and inspire her, incite her to, to prayer and to encounter Jesus. Well, what I did was um, I took these pictures of my enemies. I, I printed them out, and I actually have them in my Bible. They're not really all enemies in the strict sense. Uh, I wouldn't fight any of these people or feel as though they would fight me on the street or something. But they're people who have hurt me in some way, who have bothered me in some way. People I who... That, sorry, I think that's a good... Uh distinction or a maybe lack of distinction for us to to remember that just because there's someone that we wouldn't um have a sword fight to the death with that doesn't that's not the only sense of enemy um it can be these people that have hurt us that maybe we wouldn't even say anything to um but Anyway, yeah. I, I, no, no, that's that's really good. You know, I I think that's an important <clears throat> thing to to point out is that an enemy is not um, somebody you're in a fight with. Uh, it's not somebody that uh, you would go to war with. It's somebody who uh, you can say that you has mistreated you, but it's also in my mind. It could just be anyone who's hurt me. Uh, you know, Pope Francis says uh, in one of his homilies, uh, this was the, June 14, 2016, he asked, um, who are my enemies? Well, who has hurt me? Who is it that I don't love? Who am I distanced from? Who are they? Um, I think these are our enemies. The people, I could say, that we feel distance from. That our love, when we think of them, our love doesn't immediately touch them. That we're reluctant to give our love. That is the person, I think, we can call 
it would be better to call an enemy because certainly Jesus would have never fought a war with um, anybody uh, and certainly loved um, everybody he met but he certainly also had enemies um, and these were I think I think of anyone who annoys me even um, that's going to be somebody that I feel like I should pray for more and so we think of uh, I, I, did, I took I, I these mean, pic- I think I, I yeah. cut you off oh sorry you're getting back um, to, yeah, so, so I picture. have these pictures though of people um, mainly people in my own life uh, not a political figures or things maybe for some people that would be but for me it's people in my own life um, and I've printed these out and I have them in a special place uh, in my Bible where I can as I do my morning reading or I can open up and look at these people and I ask I beg God I beg Jesus reveal yourself to me through these people. I want that when I look at these people, I see you. Not simply when I look at a crucifix or, you know, a nice, beautiful picture that's been painted of you. Uh, I want to see you in the people that bother me the most, the people that hurt me the most, the people that I have the hardest time, uh, in some cases, even thinking about. I want to see you and only you and love only you in these people. That's been really um, the the challenge that I feel like God gave to me and blessed me with this means. And you know what's fascinating? Pope Francis is very clear. Uh, he, he says, um, If a person during her life does nothing but reconcile and make peace with their enemies, she should be canonized. That person is a saint. Uh, it, it's such a beautiful thing that this mystagogy of mercy that we begin talking about, that is loving, doing good, blessing, praying for our enemies, is the very means. If we can do that, it's the means to holiness. The means to holiness is not giving a lot to the church. It's not a cerebral thing, learning a bunch of doctrine. When you stand before Jesus at the end of time, at the end of your life, it's not going to be a quiz on the Baltimore Catechism. It's going to be the works of mercy. It's going to be, have you practiced the works of mercy? And it's also going to be, you forgot these people... You forgot me present in your enemy. Uh, it, that's what we're going to be judged on. That's how we become merciful. That's how we become perfect. That's how we become holy. By being, by loving our enemies, yeah. by doing good to our enemies. I'm think, uh, reminded of Mother Teresa's phrase of, you know, that in her work, she was seeing Jesus in the distressing disguise of the poor. And I think for this discussion, we could also say we have to seek Jesus in the distressing disguise of our enemies. Like that, this, um, it's troubling, distressing. This is a, is a very difficult thing to do. So if you're finding it difficult, you're in, 
you know, we're we're all in the in the in yeah the right we're, place. We're, we're uh, certainly. I'm certainly not saying any of this because I practice it perfectly, but I'm convinced down in my the very marrow of my bones that this is the means to holiness, that this is the truth. Pope John Paul II, I mean, I'll go even further. Pope John Paul II uh, in Evangelium Vitae, one of his uh, encyclicals, he talks about true pro-life, the, the deepest element of God's commandment to protect human life, is the requirement to show reverence and love for every person and the life of every person. And then he connects it with, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Even an enemy ceases to be an enemy for the person who is obliged to love. The height of this love is to pray for one's enemy. By doing so, we achieve harmony with the providential love of God. I mean, could you imagine, this may offend people with me saying it, but I'm going to say it anyways, God calls you to love the doctor who murders a baby, who commits abortion, and the woman as well, just as much as he calls you to love the baby. Let me repeat that. God is calling you, is calling us to love the abortion doctor just as much as we love the innocent baby that's been killed. This is the radical teaching of Jesus. This is not the teaching you will hear on Fox or NBC. You're not going to hear this type of teaching. You're going to be taught to demonize your enemy. You're going to be taught to judge, divide, oppose, condemn your enemy. You're not going to be told about the Father's unconditional love for all people. You're not going to be told about the mercy of God. And yet, this is... Francis said, Pope Francis says, to know that God continues to love even those who reject Him is a boundless source of confidence and an impetus for our mission. I think um, there is something in this message, again, it should bother us. It should be hard. I think uh, it's nice to have other uh, examples of people actually doing this. And that, that, praise God, there are... um, as difficult and unimaginable as this teaching is, we have you know this example of the Amish people whose children were murdered, their children were murdered, and they showed love to the family of the, of this man and, and even honored him with their presence at the funeral. Um, so uh, another example, this is real life, it can happen. So um, we shouldn't be entirely discouraged or at all discouraged. Jesus can help us do this. Um, I was reading about this uh, Palestinian Christian. Um, his name is Sami Awad. And uh, he grew up, you know, in this, living in um, the West Bank, uh, 
in in Israel, um, or obviously uh, everyone, there's a dispute as to what even to call these these areas. But um, he is the founder and executive director of the Holy Land Trust, um, and he what he does is engage in dialogue with Palestinians and Israelis, um, particularly. Uh, Jewish settlers in the West Bank. So these are the this people that he would see literally as his enemies. Um, I just I read a I was reading a, an article about him and what he's he's done and devoted his life to. And this quote uh, that he said just um, I thought got to the heart of this. Um, you know why is he he doing what he's doing um quote for me it is looking into the teaching of jesus jesus talked about loving your enemy and loving your neighbor when i put these two verses together i looked around to see who was my enemy who was my neighbor the answer was the settlers you know the jewish settlers uh it's like the simplicity of that is refreshing, I, mm -hmm. I think, and I think it's something that we're trying to get to. It, it's very, it's, it's simple and it's beautiful. And this is a person who is doing it and struggling along that way. Um, and it doesn't. We don't need to complicate it. Uh, this is what Jesus. This is what Jesus is calling us to. Um, and. Another a side note, um, somewhat you know we. I, I don't know. It's funny to say this. You may, you may think we say the word Jesus a lot for Catholics, and I think it's a interesting. Um, I, I I honestly grew up probably not saying the word Jesus a lot. I, I grew. I've been a Catholic my entire life. Come from a very Catholic family. I think. Even, even just his name often sometimes sounds Protestant to our Catholic ears. And something, Jonathan, that you brought to my attention um, was the perspective of Father um, Cantalameza, the preacher for the papal household, who's been the preacher from St. John Paul II through Benedict and um, now with Francis. Um, and you know, it's, it's like yes, Catholics can use the word Jesus. We're um, we don't we need to. It's important for us to because that's the source of our faith. And uh, he says, I guess, in one of his sermons, in Catholic language, quote the personal encounter with Jesus. And we can also think of you know someone saying, "Is Jesus your personal Lord and Savior?" Uh, that's my little aside. So. The personal encounter with Jesus has never been a very familiar concept. Preferred, preferred instead of personal encounter was the idea of ecclesial encounter, which occurs, namely, through the sacraments of the church. To our Catholic ears, the expression had vaguely Protestant resonances. Obviously, um, uh, so he, and he's, Father Cantalameza is commenting on Evangelii Gaudium. Um, 
Obviously, the Pope is not thinking of a personal encounter that substitutes the ecclesial. He only wishes to say that the ecclesial encounter must also be free, willed, and spontaneous, not purely nominal, juridical, or habitual. Um, Jesus is the center of the sacraments. Jesus is the center of our church. And um, I think... We, we hear the word encounter um, a lot in Pope Francis's speech, encounter, dialogue. Uh, we, we need to enter into that with, with our Savior Jesus so that we can be fed by the sacraments, so that we can, uh, you know, that we're, we're fed by them regardless of our understanding, really. But if we want them to give us the power to act on this radical teaching, um, we need to be seeking Jesus and realize that he gave us his church and he gave us the sacraments um, as gifts of himself, and um, I'm not sure how to sum all that up, but uh, anyway, <laughs> the I, I was... I think part of this is is kind of coming to grips with a certain simplicity of the message and seeing that simplicity in this um, Christian in Palestine who just simply said, I looked at the words of Jesus and this is what it called me to, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and we shouldn't be afraid to do that as as Catholics or as as Christians. Uh, it's our faith. We should just look at the words of Jesus and ask him to help us uh, live them out. Uh, yeah, I want to, you know, as we as we come close, kind of clo- to a close here, um, what I wanted to do was maybe just mention a few things with, uh, you know, Pope Francis calls us to make a true examination of conscience and so some of the questions he asks us to ask ourselves is do I sow peace so during this Lent we could begin to ask ourselves today have I sown peace or have I sown discord and uh, he says uh, you know um, do I have my words brought about um, peace have they brought about a, a path towards my enemies rather than build up a wall we could ask ourselves do I pray for my enemies or do I wish something bad for them uh, that it's he says who are my enemies who has hurt me who is it that I don't love who am I distanced from who are they do I pray for them let each person give an answer this part I just loved it kind of it really struck me uh, he says may the Lord give us the grace to pray for our enemies to pray for those who wish us ill who do not love us to pray for those who do us harm who persecute us using their full names and we will see that this prayer will bear two fruits it will improve our enemy because prayer is powerful 
and it will make us more as children of the Father. And it comes back again to this mystagogy of mercy, this uh, invitation to God's self-revelation. There's there's such a power here in this message, uh, especially as we live in an, a society where because of, I think, um, because of globalization and just the internet, we tend to feel indifferent to the suffering of others. There's just so much suffering. There's so, so much out there. There's so many things. We get distracted. And Pope Francis calls this a pathology of indifference. Um, that how many wounds grow deeper, he says, due to this epidemic of animosity and violence, which leaves its mark on the flesh of many of the defenseless because their voice is weak and silenced by this pathology of indifference. How many situations of uncertainty and suffering are sown by this growing animosity between people, between us? He's talking to the cardinals. He says, yes, between us, between our priests. Um, our world is becoming very polarized our nation, just at this last election, the ugliness uh, which even Christians from um, both major parties, the way they treated each other and their candidates uh, was very difficult to see Jesus and and many of their actions. Uh, And I think, again, Pope Francis reminds us Our goal and aspiration is to strive on life's plane, the Sermon on the Plane again, together with the people of God to become persons capable of forgiveness and reconciliation. He says we are to be signs, living signs of reconciliation. And, you know, I just wanted to kind of point out one last thing that he ends with, and I think this is so important. He says, Today, each of you, dear brothers, is asked to cherish in your own heart and in the heart of the church this summons to be merciful like the Father. Then he says, If something should rightly disturb us and trouble our consciences, it's the fact that so many of our brothers and sisters are living without the strength, light, and consolation born of friendship with Jesus Christ without a community of faith to support them without meaning and a goal in life. We're going to talk about this in the future, but I just want to point out that what should rightly disturb us as Christians and Catholics, what should bother us, is not someone else's opinion on global warming as much as that there are brothers and sisters, that there are fellow human beings in this world that live without Jesus Christ, without his friendship, without a community, without meaning and goal in life, which Jesus Christ gives. Uh, I think that is really so important that during this Lent, as we're going through, as we're sacrificing, as we're doing our different activities, we should be striving to convert these activities as well as our hearts to a deeper closeness to Jesus' heart and that heart is for the lost. I think we're called we're called evermore to remind ourselves of those who live without Jesus. We get so caught up in whatever 
Fox News or CNN or whatever they want us to think is so important. That's the thing I find so many Christians seem to think they're, they're, they're so upset about. We should be much more upset about the loss in this world than about Trump's tax returns or Hillary's emails. Crazy, Lord. I think, um, I think we'd, we'll just close it with a prayer there. Oh, or you've got you've got the prayer. Yeah, right. I wanted to actually end with a Eucharist. This is from the preface of the Eucharistic prayer for reconciliation number two. I just thought it was really beautiful, <laughs> so I'd like to end with this. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we praise and thank you through Jesus Christ our Lord for your presence and action in the world. In the midst of conflict and division, we know it is you who turn our minds to thoughts of peace. Your Spirit changes our hearts. Enemies begin to speak to one another. Those who are estranged join hands in friendship, and nations seek the way of peace together. Your Spirit is at work when understanding puts an end to strife, when hatred is quenched by mercy and vengeance gives way to forgiveness. For this, we should never cease to thank and praise you. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, Jonathan. Uh, thanks for joining us, um, everyone. We love you, uh, and we hope to uh, talk to you again. Uh, God bless. We appreciate you listening to today's podcast. Please tune in again next week, and we look forward to seeing you. May God bless you.